We're starting a new series today about names. And names mean something. You know, Shakespeare said, a rose by any other name is just, will smell just as sweet. But what if you called the rose dung? Would you want to go and take a sniff? Think about it a sec. But, but think about other names. What, what comes to mind when I mention these names? You ready? I know a lot of you have friends named this. Hitler. What comes to mind? Not a good guy, a bad guy, right? I'm sure nobody has a friend who has a last name or even a first name. Hitler or Stalin. Or what about one guy who's in Scripture who ruined a name for everybody? Judas. You got a lot of Judas friends? Well, maybe you do. They may not be called Judas. You may be thinking you're a Judas. Uh, Names have profound meaning. They can mean all kinds of things to different people. Context is key. If you're in a science class... Pluto means something special, a former planet that we mourn every day. Or if you ask a a five-year-old, what is Pluto? They're thinking, that's Mickey's dog. Context means everything, but names mean something. What if I went around and asked some of you this morning, what about Disney World? Some of you think, I saw some smiles from some wives, and I saw some husbands shaking your heads. Disney World means different things to different people, but the name has profound meaning. Well, in Scripture, God is referred to by many names. Sometimes you have names that are just straight what God is called, like the name Elohim. Anybody ever heard of the word name Elohim? That is the name of God. It's actually the first name of God in Scripture, Creator God. In Hebrew, that I am at the end of the words is plural. Elohim is a plural word because it's talking about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But there's other names like Adonai. Anybody ever heard of that one? Adonai, it means Lord. That's in Scripture. But sometimes the people of God, some people who are trying to follow God, go through a momentous experience with God, and so they name a location based upon what God has done for them there, like God the Provider or God the Protector, or the Lord our Banner. We're going to go through some of these in the weeks ahead. And they'll name that place after what God has done for them, a significant moment in their lives, always remembering that that moment of what God has done. Some of the names of God in Scripture, all of them really, if you really break it down and do an intense study of the names of God, the names of God help us understand more about his nature and his character And David writes about that in Psalm 23, which is what we're going to look at. I got some guys who are going to help me real quick uh, uh, get something for me uh, right out here. In Psalm 23, so why don't you go and turn there while they pull this out. Psalm 23, one of the most familiar passages of all of Scripture. It is on page 458, if you want to flip there in the Bible on the pew rack. Some of you may have this memorized in a variety of translations. It's oftentimes read at uh, funerals. Years ago in our church, some people made these banners with various names of God. Yeah, you can just sit right here, Jonathan. Thank thank you all so much. Um, And each week as we talk about these names of God, we're going to have a coordinating banner. And then as the weeks go on, we're going to hang the banners around the room as we 
uh, talk about them. Let's see if you can get it in there. It took me a while to find the right pole and the right thing this week. There we go. All right, the Lord is our shepherd. Uh, just an interesting side note. Um, banners, this has long tradition in many, many churches. Growing up in our church, our, the church that I grew up in had a banner ministry uh, that my mother still leads to this day. And my dad is a music minister, and he puts on this big old Christmas deal uh, at their church. And during the last song of their their Christmas um, uh, uh, production uh, program, they're going to hate that I called it a production, uh, of their program, uh, they have this big song, and they bring out, I don't know, I mean, it's like 25-something banners. Uh, they march them down the aisle, and um, the last banner to come down is the Jesus banner, and on the big uh, uh, downbeat at the very end of the song, the Jesus banner shoots up in the sky, you know, raises up, and all the things raise up, all the other banners raise up. There's a spotlight on the Jesus banner. It's a real emotional moment uh, seeing all these names of God raised up in that way. But uh, this is the idea is we want to raise the name of God as a banner for all to see. And so as we talk about the Lord, our shepherd, we're going to look at Psalm 23 and talk about this here. So Psalm 23, starting in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Anybody know a lot of shepherds today in your life? Anybody? You know a lot of shepherds? You don't know a lot of shepherds? There's not a lot of shepherds in Dequeen here? It's no surprise. But shepherding back then, both Old Testament and New Testament, was a very prominent career. Shepherds were all over the place. Uh, in the Old Testament, shepherds were not looked on the same way they are in the New Testament. Somewhere in the course of history, shepherds took on a bad connotation because they tended to steal things. They tended to think that anything that was out there and available was theirs, and they could just lift it. Uh, they could take it. If, you know, they could walk across any land they wanted to, didn't care if it was your land, and use that land to graze their sheep on. And so shepherds took on a bad uh, image for this. But in the Old Testament, shepherds weren't thought of in the same way. They were venerated in a way. Uh, speaking of God, in Isaiah chapter 40, it says, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather his lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Even in John 10, Jesus refers to himself as the shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. And then in many places in the Old Testament, 1 Kings 22, Jeremiah 23, Ezekiel 34, the kings of Israel and Judah are frequently referred to as shepherds, either in a good way or a bad way. The image of a shepherd very frequently carries with it royal connotations. And that's the exact intended meaning here in Psalm 23. Uh, the Lord is king, and he is the shepherd. But there's also something unique that David does here in verse 1. Uh, we probably, I know I didn't notice it because we're so familiar with this passage that we don't pick up on it in today's modern society. The Lord is my shepherd. Because generally, particularly in Scripture, uh, the Old Testament, when shepherd is mentioned, it is in relation to the whole flock. Not an individual sheep. It's the whole flock has a relationship with the shepherd. But what David does is he brings it on down to this personal level and says, I have a personal relationship with the shepherd. Which again would have been a shocking teaching in the Old Testament. 
that they would have a personal relationship with Almighty God. They would have to go through a priest. But David says, the Lord is my shepherd, so I will not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down in green pastures. You see, the shepherd guides. The shepherd shows the way. The shepherd, in order to guide properly, like he says there at the beginning of verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. The sheep have to completely trust the shepherd, that he's going to lead them to a good place. He's going to lead them to some green pastures. See, if I trust the Lord as my shepherd, I will never want for spiritual nourishment. He will always lead me somewhere where there is spiritual food to be had. The shepherd always leads to food. The shepherd always leads to food. But the thing is, the shepherd doesn't force feed you. He doesn't lead you to food and then shove it down your throat because he can't. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You can lead the sheep to food, but you can't make them eat. You can lead people to spiritual growth, but you can't make them grow. And so what's happening in David's description is the Lord, he's my shepherd. I will never want for anything that he provides. If, if he leads me to green pastures where there's just phenomenal amounts of food, but it's up to me to eat it. You can have your scripture sitting on your nightstand or your coffee table all day long, but if you don't take it out, open it up, and ingest what's in there, it's not going to do you any good. You're not going to grow. You're not going to be spiritually nourished. You've got to take it in. Here's the green pasture. He's giving you a whole bunch, 1,000 pages of it. He's giving you, Maybe some of you have the, the uh, extra-large print, so 2,000 pages of it. He's giving you a bunch. But if you don't eat it up, you're going to get your food from some other source and end up in a very unhealthy place. The shepherd always leads to food. He doesn't just lead to food. He also leads other places. Look at the next part there. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me beside still waters. Anybody's translation have like a little footnote next to that? Still waters? Still waters. That literally means waters of rest in the Hebrew. He leads me beside waters of rest. Now that makes me think of something Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So back in verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That idea of that word labor there means to be weary because of a great and difficult action. You've been doing something difficult. You've been doing something hard. You've been doing something uh, that, that you're just continually striving after and not finding any uh, 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 way out is the idea of that word labor. You're heavy laden. <laughs> Somebody has put a heavy burden on you. The idea of that word is overburdened. You're overextended. It's too heavy for you. You ever feel that? Carrying something too heavy? 
And then he says, you come to me with all of that baggage, all of that overburdening, and come to me. And he says, I will give you rest. That word rest means relief. You ever been in the midst of a struggle and then all of a sudden it stops and it's just that instant relief? I mean, just, whew, like, like, a, like a load has just been, maybe the doctor gave you good news, the thing you've been worrying about, or you go to work, it's the thing you've been anxious about for, for days and days, and then all of a sudden you realize it's not a bad thing. I remember uh, at, at, a, at a previous job, uh, at my boss, the pastor, would always send out text messages with all caps and you're thinking, he is screaming at me. He is so mad. And one day I brought it to his attention, and it was just his thumbs are so big, and he didn't know how to take the, all, the caps off. And so he texted everybody with all caps. And so it wasn't that he was mad. He just didn't know how to work his phone. You know, and so that was a huge relief off. Okay, I'm not about to get fired. He just doesn't know how to work his phone. <laughs> you know, that was back before touch screens. Some of you don't even know. Phones existed before that, but that's the way it was. Uh, and so it's the idea of relief, this idea of rest. Come to me, Jesus says, and I will give you rest. Come to me and I will give you rest. I will give you rest, Jesus said, because back in John 10, like we looked earlier, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So Jesus is the good shepherd, and he will give us rest. So we come to Jesus, we find rest, exactly what David says here in Psalm 23. He, make, uh, he leads me beside still waters, waters of rest. He restores my soul. The shepherd gives relief. So the shepherd leads to food, and the shepherd gives relief. We can't find true relief from other sources. I preached on this a few weeks ago. We can numb ourselves from other sources, but we can't find relief from other sources. Relief only comes from Jesus. True relief, true rest only comes from Jesus. And it comes from the shepherd here. He gives us relief. Look at the second half of verse 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You see, the shepherd knows the best way forward. The shepherd knows the best way to go. He knows the best paths. He knows the ins and outs. He knows how to get from point A to point B. He knows how to get there and avoid all of the, the, the death traps and the predators that are out there. He knows how to get there. But we've got to follow the shepherd. We've got to be following the shepherd. We have to hear his direction. We have to listen for his voice. Sometimes, don't raise your hand, sometimes some of us, me at the top of the list, like to think we know best, like we know better than God how to go forward. We're not going to say it out loud. That sounds real bad. I know better than God the way forward. But we'll say or we'll just act on a situation and say this has to be, you know, we got eight choices. We got, when we say option one, door number one is the best option, but it's not. Yeah, anybody remember the show, Let's Make a Deal? Door number one is the goat, or the half a car. If y'all don't know what I'm talking about, they had these three doors, and you had to make a deal with the host about which door you wanted. And, and the, the bad prize was usually like a goat or a car that's been cut in half, something you can't do anything with. And so that was the bad, and the other one was like a million dollars or something that you always missed out on. And so it's that idea is my way is always the goat, not the greatest of all time, but a literal goat. 
Maybe I would have to mow if I got a goat. But anyway, my way is the bad prize. God's way is always the best. God's way is always the best way forward. Not that God's way is going to have no headaches and God's way is going to be pain-free, but God's way has God on it. And whatever way he leads down, if he's there, it's the best way every single time. Because I'm, if he's not there, I'm going to be having to try to lift the weight of, of the bad decisions I make on my own without his help. But if I go his way, I'm with the shepherd. And what did Jesus say in Matthew 11? His way is easy. His way is light. Not because the road is easy, but because he is there to lift it for us. He knows the best way forward. But we have to listen to what he says to us. Back in John chapter 10, Jesus said it like this. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Down in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. He says his sheep will recognize his voice. His sheep will recognize his voice. When he's trying to lead us down these paths of righteousness, lead us down the best way forward, we have to listen for his voice and his guidance. But if we're not listening for him, if, if we're trying to go our own way for our own namesake, we're going to miss the best way forward in our lives rather than listening. And you say, okay, well, how do I hear God's voice? we got to recognize it. How do we recognize God's voice? By spending more and more time with it. Here he wrote down a whole bunch of stuff in his voice, in his tone for you. Say, I haven't heard God's voice. Okay, when's the last time you read his word? Here's him speaking to you. Speaking to you. You say, I haven't heard God's voice. I don't know what he wants. All right, ingest more scripture. Take in more. And the thing about God and the thing about his word, you come to realize the more you get, the more you realize you need more. It's like this is Lay's potato chips. You get a little bit, you need more. Or let's put it in better context. This is bluebell ice cream. Need a little bit, you need more. Need a little bit, you need more. To, to, to go these paths of righteousness for his name's sake, we've got to hear what he's saying. If we're his sheep, he's given us every opportunity to recognize his voice. He's led us to those green pastures but we've got to eat. And as we go in these paths of righteousness, like I said a second ago, there will be hard days down this path of righteousness because sometimes it goes this way, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The valley of the shadow of death. That is the lowest place of deepest darkness and despair. It is, it is a place of hopelessness. But, but if we're following the good shepherd where there is no hope, I have hope because the Lord is with me. And in that, we, we find comfort, as he says at the end of the verse. They comfort me. Courage, comfort, peace. They're experienced and they're readily available because what does it say there in the verse? His rod and his staff are there. 
The rod protects and the staff redirects. Let me give you an illustration here. I've got some here. This is what you're most familiar with when it comes to a shepherd's, it's a very small shepherd. Uh, a shepherd's crook, a shepherd's staff. They would use this uh, most of the time to kind of guide the sheep along the path, kind of tap them. Or if they go to down, a, down a ditch or off an area, they would take the looped end, loop it around the sheep, and yank him back. If the sheep started to wander off, they'd kind of whack him on the side to keep him on the path. See, the staff guides the sheep. But he says there, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A shepherd's rod, in Hebrew, is a shebet. You say, this just looks like a stick. Well, it is. What they would do is they would take a root of a tree, cut it out, and then they would kind of make a larger end on one end, kind of whittle it down, sand it. This was actually taken from a tree at, uh, uh, in Dallas, of a, not just some random tree. It was a tree that was in our yard in Dallas uh, when we lived there. Uh, so, I mean, this, this, I don't know, this is probably 15 years old now. Uh, and they would use, so they would carry both of these. They would carry the rod and they'd carry the staff. And the rod was used to beat off predators. When a predator got close, they would take that, that, that rod and they would just beat it, the predator. Or they got so good, they actually still today in the Middle East, they have competitions with the shebet, with the rod. And they would take it and they were able to, to throw it well over 100 yards. Some of these guys up to 200 yards. They would get back and they would go down and they would chunk it like this. With pinpoint accuracy, they'd hit those predators right in the head and kill them on the spot from that far away. So they had the rod that could beat off predators. They had the staff that would protect the sheep, that would guide the sheep. They had the protection. You had the guidance there. And he says, that, and David says in the verse, comforts me. It comforts me knowing that the predators will be beaten off. It comforts me knowing that I will be guided along the path. It comforts me knowing that you have both of those elements at your disposal there. Even though, he says, I'm in the shadow of death, this valley. He says, I will fear no evil. Notice, the evil still comes. He doesn't say, because you're with me, because you have the rod and you have the staff, no evil's going to come. Now the evil still comes. He's still in the valley of the shadow of death. It's still difficult. It's still dark. It's still a desperate situation. But he says, I have comfort and peace and courage because you are there. The evil's still advancing. But I am not afraid of the evil because I have you. I have faith in you. Evil will come, but there's no need to fear it because of the power of the Lord's presence. The shepherd protects from fear. The shepherd protects from fear. Fear is always prevalent. Fear comes in many forms, many times anxiety. Many times anxiety or worry about the unknown or about the what if is coming down the road. Some of us play the what if game and we, we what if our way into fear debilitating, crippling fear that ends up doing phenomenal damage to people around us. The shepherd, if our eyes are on the shepherd, if we're, like we've already talked about, listening to the voice of the shepherd, we're able to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We're able to walk past the advancing evil without fear of the evil because he is with us. The shepherd protects from fear if we're listening to him, if we're looking towards him. 
we can find our way forward. And even with the advancing evil, even in the valley of the shadow of death, look what he does in verse 5. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, that advancing evil. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Now this is a unique image that he's presenting in this verse. Um, It's not one that we normally have today. Uh, I mean, we have set tables, yes, but... Uh, the idea is of a very attentive, hospitable host of like a dinner. You go over to their house, they've got the table set with the nicest, you know, uh, uh, plates and forks and knives and spoons. You got three different cups, you know, it's real nice. It says, you anoint my head with oil. That was a, a very special thing. It was a cleaning thing, but it was even more than a cleaning thing. It was an honor thing. This is the image of setting a table which was an intimate activity. Only people who were extremely close to you took part in meals together. And it was honoring. So by preparing the table, David is saying, you are basically inviting me into your immediate family, Lord God, shepherd. You anoint my head with oil. You honor me even as the evil comes. My cup overflows. There's phenomenal blessing here. So there's honor and blessing in the family of the Lord. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. But the thing about experiencing this, as this whole chapter is one unit, you can't just pop a verse out and forget about what came before it. The only way we're experiencing any of this, the green pastures, the waters of rest, the paths of righteousness, the comfort, the table, the oil, the overflowing cup, is if our attention is on the Lord. Like I said, he can lead us to the, to the, the green pastures, but he won't make us eat. He can lead us to the waters of rest, but he won't force us to drink. He will guide us even as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but we're only going to find comfort if we look to him, if we turn to him, if we come to him. We're only going to find this table, this uh, honor, this blessing if we look to him. The shepherd blesses attention. If we're looking to him, giving him our attention, his blessing will be there, but his blessing comes in many forms not the least of which is his powerful presence as we walk through seeming uncertainty and pain. The Lord's blessing doesn't necessarily mean easy life, doesn't necessarily mean constant health, it doesn't necessarily mean all the money you can ever wish for. But it does mean he's with you in the middle of all of it. And so here as we see, he prepares a table, he anoints our head, he he brings our cup to overflowing. He brings intimacy. He brings honor. He brings blessing. But if we're not paying attention to the Lord, we're going to completely miss the table he set for us. We're going to completely miss the blessing he's got ready for us if we're not paying attention to him. If we're rather focused on the valley of the shadow of death, if we're rather focused on the advancing evil and not seeing him coming, we're missing what he has for us. But even if we miss it, he doesn't abandon us and leave us alone. Look at what he says in the next verse. He says, even though that happens, surely... 
goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness and mercy shall follow me. That's the good things, that's the kind things of the Lord shall follow me. That word follow literally means chase. Like hunt down and chase after you. Surely goodness and mercy, all of the good things, all of the kind things of the Lord will chase me down even if I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. Even if I'm fearing the evil, even if I'm ignoring the table he set before me, his goodness and mercy is still there, is still readily available. I can never outrun God's good and kind heart. His goodness and kindness will always be with me. Which means, as he says at the end of that verse, I'm always in his presence. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm always in his presence. Everywhere I go, that goodness and mercy are there. Signs of his presence. So I'm always in his presence. I'm always in his house. I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm always in his temple. That's another way to say the temple of the Lord. If I am a follower of his, one of his sheep, then I'm always There it is back. Always in his house, always in his temple. But the thing about that temple, that that house of the Lord, that's a unique phrase Paul picks up in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you. So your body is the temple. So I, I just, again, the same imagery here. The temple was, was, was what the Israelites believed was the heart of the nation. It's where God's presence resided, was in the temple. And so both when Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 6 and David says it here in Psalm 23, dwell in the house of the Lord. We are always in the presence of God. We are always there. As his temple, you are his temple. His presence is always there. So everywhere you step is holy ground. As though you're an outpost or an embassy of heaven in a foreign, hostile nation. Everywhere you step is holy ground. Step over here, holy ground. Step over here, holy ground. That doesn't mean me in my own efforts is holy. But God's presence in me makes it holy. Holy ground everywhere. Even if you go somewhere bad. Not honoring to God. It's holy ground, not because of the place, not because of you, but because of Jesus in you. Where was Jonah when he realized he did wrong? Belly of a fish. Did he have to get out of the belly of the fish, get all cleaned up, get a new set of clothes, get his life together, give a bunch of money to the the temple, and then go find Jesus? No, who was in the belly of the fish with him? God. Right in the middle of the fish guts. Right in the middle of the gross. Probably in the middle of his own throw up. I mean, if you're in the middle of a fish and you smell all that, and it's all, you're not going to have a good experience. He's there, and he, God is right there with him in the mess. God's goodness and mercy chased down Jonah through the ocean to the belly of the fish. So wherever you find yourself, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are in his presence. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Everywhere you step is holy ground. Because, as we've seen so far, what the shepherd leads to food. The shepherd 
uh, uh, guides, or the shepherd gives relief. Uh, passive right. The shepherd shows the best way forward. The shepherd protects from fear. The shepherd blesses attention. Finally, the shepherd is always near. He's always near. Last week we saw, or two weeks ago, parable Jesus told in Luke 15. Chasing after a lost sheep. You see, Jesus, in that illustration, as the Son of God, John chapter 1, created everything. He even created the sheep that are lost. But he's searching for them. He's trying to bring them into his flock. He's trying to rescue them if they're willing to be rescued. And so the shepherd is always near. Whenever we are ready to turn to the shepherd, he's right there with us. If we're ready to turn. If, if we turn to him and look to him and give him our attention. So the question is, do you follow the good shepherd today? Do you follow the good shepherd? So that goes two ways. First, if you don't know Jesus... The question is for you, will you follow the good shepherd today? Will you find comfort in the valley of the shadow of death? Will you find protection with the rod and the staff? Will you follow the good shepherd? Will you believe that Jesus is the son of God? That he died so all your sins would be forgiven. And he rose from the dead so you can be saved. We're told in scripture, several of the places, Old and New Testament, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know what that means? You believe in Jesus. You call on Jesus. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died for all my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. You don't have to pay a bunch of stuff to get into heaven. You don't even have to live right to get into heaven. Now, if you know Jesus, your wants are going to change. You don't instantly become perfect. But you're going to begin to change from the inside out. But you don't have to do a bunch of stuff before coming to Jesus. You don't, as a preacher, I know there's other preachers in town disagree with me, but you don't even have to come to church to go to heaven. That's an act of obedience, Hebrews chapter 10, it is. But you go to heaven because you believe in Jesus, not because you're sitting in a green pew. You go to heaven because you believe in Jesus. Not because you do a checklist of 25 different things first. You go to heaven simply because you believe in Jesus. Jesus said it. Paul said it. Jesus said it to the thief on the cross. You think that guy had a, had a chance to go get his life right first? Had a chance to go get baptized first? Hey, Romans, take me down from the cross. i got to get baptized. Then you can come back and nail me back, and then we'll go to heaven. No, Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Today, paradise means heaven. He says, today. Like, here's just a few minutes, Mr. Robber Man on the other cross. You're going to die, and I'll see you there. We don't have to do a bunch of stuff to get there. We simply have to believe because Jesus already did all the stuff in dying. So will you follow the good shepherd? Will you follow the good shepherd and believe in him today? But the other side of that question, do you follow the good shepherd, lies back in verse 6 of Psalm 23. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's in what that word literally means, dwell. It literally means I will return to dwell. I will return to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
So the other side of this question, do you follow the good shepherd? Yes. Will you believe in him for the first time today? The other side is, do you need to return to him today? Do you need to return to the good shepherd today? Have you been wandering off as a sheep? Maybe he's been using that staff on you, trying to get you back on the path. Maybe you, like some sheep, what they would do with the rod that they used on predators is a sheep that was particularly ornery and would not stay on the path. They would take the rod and they would break the sheep's leg. And then they would carry the sheep until the leg healed. And in that process of weeks and weeks of carrying that sheep, the sheep would grow so close to the shepherd that that broken leg sheep, once it's healed, never wandered away again. Never. So in that, I will return to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you need to return to Jesus today? So whichever way that question goes, do you follow the good shepherd? Do you need to follow him for the first time today? Or do you need to come back to him today? Y'all pray with me. God, I thank you for the shepherd imagery. I thank you for David writing this down. I mean, being a shepherd himself, he's very familiar with this whole process and how that would play out for himself following a shepherd as a sheep. God, I pray that we would follow you. That at times, our sheepness comes out and we go down the wrong path. We follow other sheep right off the path. God, I pray we would listen to you and we would listen to your voice and feel you guiding us back where you would have us be, down that paths of righteousness. We would turn to you in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death as the evil is advancing and we would find faith and not fear because we are looking to you, coming to you as we are weary and heavy laden, finding rest and relief in you. And God, if anyone in here has not yet followed you as their good shepherd, I pray today they would believe. They would not put it off. They would not internally argue with, not today, I don't need to do it today. But they would believe today. Believe in your salvation. Believe in your good news. Believe in eternity and the promise of heaven. God, I thank you for today. And this moment of decision you've given us right now to decide to follow you. In your name I pray, amen.